Hi, my name is Tim Bauma, and this is Definitely Identity. Definitely Identity is about all things identity. In this podcast, I will be talking to people about the interesting things that are happening in the world of identity, both in public and private sector, in the country and around the world. Welcome to episode 13 of Definitely Identity. Uh, today's guest is Keith Jansa, the Executive Director of the CIO Strategy Council. So uh, welcome, Keith. Happy to be here. For our, our listeners, uh, perhaps you can give uh, a little bit of uh, background about yourself and the CIO Strategy Council. Uh, sounds good. So the CIO Strategy Council was founded on a mission to bring together Canada's most forward-thinking chief information officers. The council cuts across major sectors of the Canadian economy, both public and private, to drive strategic leadership and collective action to result in a safer, more prosperous, and digital first. With respect to uh, myself, uh, I am the executive director of the CIO Strategy Council. With that, I focus on the day-to-day operations in terms of uh, its collective effort to transform Canada's digital ecosystem, working uh, together with chief information officers across the country, again, both from the public and private sector, uh, and really honing in on those strategic issues, those digital issues that are front and center to to all of us and how we c- collectively come together to address those. My background principally has been in the standards development world. Prior to joining the CIO Strategy Council, as with the Standards Council of Canada, and it's a crown corporation that reports into Innovation, Science, and Economic Development Canada through uh, Minister Baines. And its focus is on facilitating the standards development uh, system and, and governing that system. And prior to joining the Standards Council of Canada, I was with an industry association and then likewise with a uh, standard development organization back many years ago, developing standards. So you, you have deep knowledge in, in standards development. And when you talk about the FCC, it's, it's not just about digital standards. There's lots of other uh, topics at hand. Am I, am I correct there? Absolutely. Uh, the Standards Council, it represents Canada at the international stage within uh, ISO and, and IEC, and it also uh, is responsible for the uh, governing the standard development organizations in Canada that are accredited uh, by them to develop national standards of Canada. And these standards uh, range everywhere from you know, the smallest screw thread to the most complex energy system, for example. The standards definitely span across across all sectors of the economy, regardless, and uh, can focus on safety, on performance, on reliability issues, uh, and the like. Can you give us a sense of what the accreditation process is? Like, what, what I'm finding is that a lot of people are talking about standards, a lot of organizations are talking about standards, and some of these bodies, we're not so sure where they're coming from. And I, I think at the end of the day, people want to have standards that are developed in a fair and open process. And I think that's what the accreditation process is about. Maybe you can describe it in a little bit more detail. Absolutely. So standards development can occur through many different types of organizations. You know, you have accredited standard development organizations, but you likewise have organizations like consortia, uh, even governments uh, or industry associations that effectively are uh, developing standards. You also have uh, companies in their own right developing their own internal standards or specs uh, in relation to their 
uh, products or services. So standards can come from many different sources. And uh, what becomes increasingly important for stakeholders to to recognize is that not only is you know not only of value is the standard and the requirements contained within but just as important is the development process that those standards undertake to become standards and so when you look at uh, accredited standard development organizations essentially what the accreditation means is that there's a third party organization uh, coming in and auditing and assessing your organization to determine whether it has the competence uh, to perform such duties in creating standards. In terms of Standards Council of Canada, it gets its governing rules associated to standards development from the World Trade Organization, Technical Barriers to Trade Annex 3, on the development of, of standards. And so that's where Canadian requirements associated with standards development come in. And as a, an accredited standard development organization, being required to meet those requirements everywhere from uh, ensuring that the standards don't impact trade to ensuring no price fixing to a consensus-based process, open and transparent, and, and all, these other, all these other types of measures that you may not necessarily be exposed to or be part of a process developed by a consortium. Uh, of industry or by uh, a company uh, in their own right, or even by government for that matter, when uh, developing standards. That, that, that's a great overview. And I can describe from my perspective, being with the federal government, trying to represent the public interest and serve the public interest as much as possible. We totally want to collaborate with industry and with various stakeholders, but um, it's really hard to, to manage all those different, uh, different interests, uh, especially, as you said, in the development of standards. And that's where uh, these type of processes that are open and transparent actually help keep the confidence of everyone, uh, government included, and also stakeholders of government as well. So I think that's a really, really important. Now, why don't we uh, drill down um, and talk about the, uh, the latest approved standard by SEC, the um, Digital Trust and Identity Standard. Uh, I, I always keep forgetting the exact technical name and the number. Uh, I don't know if you have that off the top of your head, uh, Keith, and um, maybe we can talk about uh, the process of when we started developing that standard and um, where we're at with it. Yes, yeah, so the standard designation is CAN CIOSC uh, 103-1 uh, colon 2020. And the title, Digital Trust and Identity, Part 1 uh, on Fundamentals. The standard was initiated in terms of its development in September of 2019, where uh, the CIO Strategy Council received a standards proposal from multiple stakeholders to go about considering the development of a series of national standards associated with digital identity. Having been part of that standards development process, a lot of the the material or the content uh, came from work that had originated in the public sector, specifically the, the public sector profile of the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework. And uh, a lot of that material had been in development over the past decade, if you will, and that was some of the initial raw material that went into the standard. Maybe you can talk about the level of the standard. Uh, a lot of times uh, people view standards as like technical specifications are very technical. There's principle-based or outcome-based standards. 
and perhaps you can actually talk about kind of where this sits in the general scheme of things, especially within the context of of Canada. I know that you speak of it being a voluntary standard. Maybe you can talk about that and, you know, what what you view as being like the 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 macro level outcomes of this, the adoption of this standard. Sure. So I'll start from the standard itself, but then speak to the broader ecosystem and, and the global ecosystem when it comes to standard setting uh, to sort of situate this amongst, uh, you know, standards that are being developed in other countries uh, in relation to uh, digital uh, trust and identity. So this National Standard of Canada effectively codifies much of the great work that's been taking place across the country uh, and to the work that you've described as an official Canadian standard. And it's important to to recognize that, again, by following an accredited process whereby the CIO Strategy Council is accredited by the Standards Council of Canada, it situates the council amongst peers internationally uh, in terms of the voluntary standardization system that exists not only here in, in Canada, but around the world. And what it enables is for... Uh, discussion and collaboration with other parts of the world around the coordination of global standardization efforts. And so when you develop an official Canadian standard, albeit voluntary in nature, you can begin to bridge uh, these discussions internationally with other standard setting organizations that that effectively meet the WTO provisions associated with standards development. And you can have those conversations with the understanding or with the ability to seed your domestic standard internationally within those fora, uh, with an ability then to potentially help, again, the domestic uh, priorities and whether it's you know helping Canadian companies export globally products or services, or enabling interoperability between two countries, uh, this is where you be, you you begin to have that ability by having a consensus-based standard developed here in Canada. Something I often say is you know it's a national standard of Canada, but fit for global use. Uh, and, and this is where that intersection and the play between the art of developing a standard under an accredited process and having that official Canadian recognition and status uh, to be able to have these more strategic, broader discussions uh, internationally with other groups to align uh, globally uh, on, on standardization efforts. This space, uh, digital identity, is fast moving and fast evolving. And, and what, we've, what we've tried to do over the past uh, several years is actually incorporate um, some of the newer concepts around decentraliza- decentralization, self-sovereign identity. But we, we did it in a way to express it more agnostically because we recognized that we needed to integrate legacy systems, traditional systems, and federated systems. And, uh, you know, it's it's still a, it's still a journey like there's some really good stuff out there like um the european union has the eidas standard for example or the eidas regulation and i know that they're starting some uh, co- uh, uh consultations about updating that i'm hoping that we can have discussions with uh, folks of the european union we're also members of like the oecd and another organization called digital nations and if anything it gives us the ability to to take what we've done at the in the Canadian context and actually discuss that internationally and evolve evolve the standard. Like we've recognized that 
you know, we've got some state-of-the-art stuff, but um, it at least aligns the, the, the country, if you will, to a degree, and then we can actually evolve it. And who knows, um, we may come up with a with a global standard in, in the future. But right now, it's uh, every, every country or uh, and the European Union ha- have had to go through this exercise on on their own and develop what's suitable within their context. And I, I just want to say uh, Canada is pretty, uh, pretty unique or uh, simply because we have like the, uh, the, the 10 provinces, three territories, the federal government, very, very discreet um, jurisdictions. It's, uh, you know, the, the federal government is one jurisdiction among equals. We have the municipalities as well. And this has been a real opportunity to align the uh, efforts across the jurisdictions, but without getting into like passing legislation or figuring out whose jurisdiction it is specifically, it enables us to work together without doing a, a legislation first kind of approach, which brings all those those issues along. So yeah, I, I just wanted to add those points. So just, um, I don't know if you want to add anything more to that, Keith? I I do. There's one particular piece that you, you highlighted in terms of you know, the, the standard being produced now, but this notion of iterating on it or further improving it, um, that's also a unique feature associated with the accreditation process that the uh, requirement on an accredited standard development organization is to maintain uh, standards over time. Uh, and so this need to continually review and have experts uh, from across the country not only reviewing but assessing whether or not there needs to be respective changes to a standard, this is all inherent to that accreditation uh, process and, and the, the process that's being followed by any accredited standard development organization. So that's an important feature that, again, when you look at the vast array of organizations that are developing standards in some form or fashion, some of those may not have any particular uh, look or outlook on its ma- uh, maintenance over time. It may just be a, a one and done type of situation that becomes legacy in, it, in and of itself over time. So it's another important, unique feature to having the consensus-based process also include in it a maintenance cycle uh, to ensure that the standards remain up to date. It was pretty eye-opening. Uh, again, we had taken the work that we had done from the from the public sector and contributed to this uh, technical committee for um, the standards development. And although we put in a lot of raw material, if you will, like terms and definitions, we have like process definitions, notion, you know, the various notions, but we got tons of feedback and insight from, from the industry as well. It was really cool. Like with the, um, the working group sessions and just working through the comments and, and comment disposition, just kind of sharing our lessons learned and our perspectives and how, how the standard might be applied or more in some cases, how it might not be applied. So it was really a, kind of a neat uh, uh, collective learning process. A- again, we've tried to bring together the perspectives of all the um, public sector jurisdictions, but uh, bringing in some of the um, bring or bringing in the perspectives of the other members of the technical committee. committee. And we, we had folks uh, like international participants as well that um, provided in, insight. So that that was. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's a good step towards become, uh, developing a, a global standard. Yeah, and, and, you know, you touch on another point there in terms of having, uh, when I mention this notion of consensus-based national standards, it's 
in that process, it's about having multi-stakeholders representing diverse interest groups participating in the work so that there is no one interest group that outweighs uh, the sum of the others in in such that there's not only an open and transparent uh, process, but an ability to contribute regardless of of where your interests lie, but at the same time, accounting for those interests uh, in a way to ensure that there's adequate balance uh, in terms of the stakeholders are represented and, and to where their interests lie. Uh, so that the standard that does, in fact, become uh, produced and, and published is one that is very much consensus-based, based on multi-stakeholder participation, looking at uh, an open and transparent process where anybody can contribute to the work, looking at the opportunity where you can have, you know, not only manufacturers and producers, but, you know, government, regulator, policymakers, academia, civil society groups, all active in the development of the standard uh, to ensure that it meets the needs, not only of one specific interest category, but across all those categories. We've had the benefit of taking the work that we've done, again, from the public sector point of view, and uh, applying it to do assessments of jurisdictions to be accepted into federal programs. And you may be aware that we have the province of BC and the province of Alberta that we've accepted. The, the other thing that we've, we've done to accommodate like the, the growth of the, the, the market or the standards-based market, we've been as agnostic as possible in terms of the specific technologies of this or the solutions. So it enables uh, different markets or markets overall to to develop and evolve and actually meet the meet the requirements in 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 the standard. And to give to give you an example, this is the experience again that we've learned is that it's a fine art of specifying something very specific enough, but not painting yourself in, in into the corner in, into a corner and kind of bias, biasing yourself to a, a one particular technology. So the the way the way we had addressed uh, that in the standard is that we've defined these uh, what we call atomic processes, identity resolution, identity verification, identity validation. I think we at, at last count we have about twenty nine or thirty of these defined normative atomic processes with associated activities and outcomes. Then also a whole series of requirements or conformance criteria which can be uh, which. Uh, uh, program can be assessed against, but the those um, requirements have been defined in a way that a variety of solution providers or technology providers can meet those requirements. So long as they they can uh, show that they meet those requirements and it actually fits within a program context, there's no reason why, you know, in the case of like the federal government, for example, that we we would not accept it. And I think um, to me that's one of the key achievements of the the standard is that we have these very precise normative process definitions with the activities, outcomes, and conformance criteria, but they're articulated in a way that it could be met by technology that we hadn't even conceived of yet and opening the door for innovation. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. Um, you you want to add anything to that, Keith? Well, you're quite right in terms of the way that the standard's been designed provides processes whereby the an organization or a company uh, would need to look at meeting the outcome that's described in the standard. So the way in which you get there and the processes that you define internal to your company and with, whether with respect to a product or the service or otherwise, you have a liberty uh, in many ways with respect to, to how you achieve those outcomes. The great thing with the way that the standard's been designed is that 
given that it's this outcome, this look for that outcome, it can also be then assessed and audited against. So there's a conformity assessment piece to this standard that for for organizations that are looking to do business across a trusted ecosystem, that there's an ability to identify those that effectively meet the standard and having that uh, ability to to note that these outcomes are being achieved uh, and then therefore, uh, you know, much more easier and efficient to do business with with those types of companies or organizations. So again, having that, that ability not only to describe uh, requirements, but to describe them in a way that uh, provides the flexibility in relation to the type of innovative processes that can come about or, or different products or technologies, but really looking at that outcome that uh, the standard prescribes for, for organizations then to meet. And that's what we're doing in the in the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework. Like, uh, So we have like the normative pieces, those, uh, those atomic processes that I talked about earlier that are governed by the standard now. But then we've also been defining like the mutual recognition process, which includes uh, not only the uh, conformity assessment, but also the the approval process within the appropriate governance uh, structure. The case of the federal government is basically gets approved by our CIO, CIO who's the deputy minister. And uh, so we, we started to develop um, those processes to serve our requirements, but there's no reason why that couldn't be broadened or regularized in a standardized assessment process, whoever that might be. It's a bit of a bit of an evolutionary uh, process. And then, in it, in addition to that mutual recognition process, we recognize that there are are, are enabling technologies, which we call supporting infrastructure uh, technologies that aren't necessarily central to the trust framework. Um, existing rails, existing uh, services and capabilities that we know that have they have to be secure and they have to have the right service level agreements or whatnot, but they don't form the the essence of the standard, but they're enabling services uh, nonetheless. And then one of the other things that we're, we are defining is trying to normalize the, the roles in this emerging um, uh, uh, digital ecosystem around who's who's issuing the digital identity, who's verifying it, who actually holds it, whether it's the user or whether it's someone on behalf of the user or technology on behalf of the user. Not formal parts of the standard yet. They might evolve and be part of it, but I think uh, the standard itself is kind of the center of the onion, which we can build, build out on. So I'm pretty excited about that. Well, and you raise a, a very good point around, uh, you know, what is a standard intended to do and 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 then what is uh, an ecosystem responsible for in terms of its uh, the conformity assessment pieces? So you mentioned the trust framework and it having uh, effectively you know mutual recognition type processes in order to, how to effectively do that. You'd never see that in a national standard because that's about the implementation. And there's there's a there's a fundamental distinction between you know, requirements bearing within a national standard, and then the application of the standard and the requirements there. And those are two very separate processes, one of which you have your, you know, Pan-Canadian Trust Framework, which is defining uh, that implementation, but you would never see that in a standard specifically, given that stakeholders and ultimately the market uh, decides on, you know, the level of confidence it requires uh, regarding 
uh, the implementation of such a standard and the requirements and how to effectively go about doing that. So what, what do you see as the next steps? I think segue into implementation. We are we are doing it uh, federally um, with, the, with the provinces and territories. And just curious to see if you've given any thought about how we can encourage implementation or adoption of the standard or the ev- evolution of the standard. Like um, I, I'm starting to see the movement afoot to really push forward uh, on a national basis uh, for the country, especially on these uh, digital capabilities. So I'm just, just curious if you have any insight of what, what's what's happening from your perspective and, you know, COVID-19 notwithstanding, like that's pushing a lot of things, but just uh, what are some of the strategic initiatives that are um, like moving, moving the needle forward, so to speak? Yeah. So, you know, uh, for for us as a as an accredited standard development organization, you know we have a responsibility core to the to facilitating the development of national standards. Uh, in turn, there are organizations that do certification and assurance and testing, and you have you know governments as well in their own right uh, doing such work. That spans a little bit outside of our mandate as a an accredited standard development organization. That said, in terms of our engagement with stakeholders and their indications or signals associated to what they're looking for, certainly I've been a part of those those types of conversations around uh, the type of assurance programs that stakeholders are looking for, what kind of trust signals that they need in order to go into business with respective organizations or uh, or, or other businesses, or or how do you you know effectively enter into a supply chain? So you know there's there's a distinction to be made here uh, in relation to the implementation, um, as much as as a council. As an accredited standard development organization, there's the responsibility we have toward the facilitating of the development of the standard. The implementation uh, becomes prudent to those that uh, wish to adopt the national standard within their internal practices. And you ask the question, well, how, how does that how do you go about doing that? You can have organizations that effectively uh, reference the, the national standard in their internal processes and, and policies. Uh, you have organizations that potentially will include it in their procurement in terms of doing, in terms of uh, articulating requirements that then in terms of doing businesses with other organizations. From a government perspective or a policymaker or even regula- regulator point of view, this, you know, national standards can help inform public policy uh, and can be referenced in regulation if it meets policy or regulatory objectives. Uh, in addition, you know, in terms of market incentives to adopt a voluntary standard can have instances where whether it's you know government federal programs uh, putting forward certification programs whether voluntary or mandatory that would again provide these signals to the marketplace as the expectation associated with products and services that meet within this uh, the the scope of this particular standard or any other standard for that matter um, so there's there's a number of ways from an implementation. There's a number of levers that can be pulled to to again provide those signals in the marketplace as to the expectation when it uh, when it's involving uh, the subject matter specific to this standard or any standard like I mentioned. It's a fine balance, and I, I would say what's most important is having that clear separation and those clear 
roles defined, as you said, the development of the standard is separate from the implementation of the standard, and there could be uh, different bodies that are implementing it for their own particular um, needs. For example, again, I'm speaking um, on from the point of view of the public sector, we have very specific requirements that we need to have fulfilled and that and how we want to do our assessment process. But that doesn't prevent like another community, whether it's the, the banking community or the insurance community or, you know, what or the health community to decide that they want to implement the standard in a slightly different way and assess a different way. There, there's no limitations. I think uh, what will happen is that when those various sectors come together, they say, hey, we need to do uh, uh, mutual recognition, as I talked about earlier, then we can go that, go through that process of mutual recognition, at least you're starting um, with with a baseline. So I, I, I'm finding that, you know, especially with digital identity, it's um, it, it cuts across many sectors and many uh, levels of government uh, and many uh, businesses, and it's very horizontal, um, and it's a first step towards uh, creating what I would call some digital capabilities that can work more like a u- u- utility, if you will, like electricity or water. We're, we're not there yet, but I'm, I'm certainly seeing that the thinking going in that direction. I'm certainly hoping that... Uh, this standard is going to help that. Like you, you don't give a second thought to plugging your uh, your your electrical um, plug into an outlet. You just assume it's going to work. It's uh, according to the, the standards, and it, it just becomes like uh, taken for granted. And if we do this right, uh, digital identity and the trust of digital identity should be something that's taken for granted when when a user is trying to get a service via their phone, via the federal government, or their bank, or the provincial government. This stuff, this stuff should work. I presume that's that's. Or I, I I view that as being the end game. That uh, users don't even have to think about it. Um, uh, think about it. It makes complete sense. And I think the the other point to be made is when we, you know, f- first started chatting about this particular standard around fundamentals, uh, I noted that it's it's amongst a series of of national standards, and it's this recognition that as much as this fundamental standard covers various processes, that when you get into specific sector verticals, to your point, there may be, uh, whether it's additional requirements or a different look or approach associated with that could in fact require very sector-specific standards uh, to be developed. And this is, this is in part why, as much as we've developed part one and it's been approved, there is part two underway uh, which is specific to the delivery of healthcare services. And as you can imagine, the level of trust and assurance, et cetera, associated with uh, the identity of a patient, the, you know, the treatments, uh, the diagnostics, et cetera, that this uh, having a patient-centric interoperable type health network has in itself uh, a variety or a myriad of of requirements or approaches that need to be addressed and, you know, effectively codifying that into a, a national standard will again help the healthcare community to to uh, effectively create these interoperable networks. So regardless of what, you know, province you're receiving care in uh, or even what clinic for that matter, uh, if you're, you know, having to, you know, chain move provinces or in fact you know receive services from a different clinic for for diagnostics or treatment um, that again your your identity and the ability to have uh, interoperability 
um, again, uh, becomes uh, crucial and very, you know, patient-centric. And this need for uh, additional standardization activities to a specific sector is something that we're also very much looking at, given the the needs that have been expressed to the uh, council. It really hit home for me. Uh, I was talking to a CEO of a company that provides healthcare solutions, and he said to me, I spend most of my time solving problems that are upstream to what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, how do I know I got the right patient? Like, I, I want to focus on the healthcare uh, aspect. And uh, I seem to be continually pulled into that issue of, do I have the right patient to begin with? Do I know that it's the right person electronically? And, and he said, absolutely crucial to my business, but it's something I wished I was, I, I wish it was solved before the patient actually comes to my front door. And so I think that's where this uh, standard becomes uh, really, really important. Um, that if we do this right, we'll create that utility capability, if you will, that um, that these downstream solution pro providers can use health. Uh, it could be uh, financial services, it could be education, it could be anything. And um, it, it, it will provide that normative foundation. Just before we uh, uh, like wrap it up, maybe just talk about... Um, you had worked on last year, or the CIO Strategy Council worked on a, um, a standard with the ethical use of data around artificial intelligence, and um, you kind of went through the same process, and maybe I'm putting you a bit on the spot here, but I, I, I did speak to my uh, colleague or former colleague that worked on developing that standard, and it seemed like there was a lot of similarities here that, you know, in the beginning, there's this big, hairy issue, if you will, that everybody wants to resolve. And what comes out the other end is a very specific uh, standard that can actually help solve that problem. So, I don't know. I don't know if you'd be able to talk a little bit about that standard and where where that is at. So happy to. The standard in particular is uh, the designation is CAN CIO SC 101 2019. And it's the ethical design and use of automated decision systems. It was published back in October of, of 2019. Uh, it's available uh, at no cost on, on our website for stakeholders, companies, organizations to, uh, to, to look at and to download and to, to potentially look at implementation and adoption. The standard took uh, just under a year uh, to, to develop. Very similar uh, in terms of of process uh, in terms of engaging multi-stakeholders, uh, in terms of receiving the need, and in this case, leveraging at the time, Canada was very much at the forefront of you know developing within the federal government a directive uh, on AI and uh, leveraging through stakeholders' participation and contributions in the work uh, that work to help seed the development of a national standard uh, and what became became something a little bit different than what the seed document was because it was coming from of course uh, from government and the first question being raised of course is does this apply within industry are the requirements written in such a way that effectively can be uh, implemented uh, within industry. So it was really the process by bringing both the public and private sector together, built consensus around what are those core requirements that can cross cut regardless of what sector organizations are from. And meanwhile, you know, as you can imagine, depending on what automated decision system or, or 
AI solution or technology is being used and what decisions is it making or informing can create, you know, there can be use cases where the system's basically deciding your your room temperature for you. Uh, And then there's other potential applications where it will decide your immigration status. Those are very, very different things and the, the level of assurance and and the need on transparency and openness, et cetera, uh, is very different for these these use cases in terms of the level of trust we'd have in them. And so when you look at these varying type of use cases, creating a standard that effectively accounts for uh, the management and the governance of an organization as it, it considers the ethical impacts uh, to, to decisions uh, organizations are making in actually designing and implementing these types of solutions. So, you know, in a, in a government context, in terms of trust with citizens or with residents, there's a, a an inherent need for very genuine high levels of trust that in some cases, in when you look at within industry or with your banks, you'd say, yeah, high trust. But when you consider use cases like you know, potentially your your thermostat in your home uh, and it monitoring your what you like and don't like in terms of the, the air circulation, et cetera. Well, that's a little bit different. The, the level of impact on you as a person in the decision it makes is very different than, like I said, if, if you have AI deciding whether you get immigration status or not in, into the country. So long-winded, but uh, a little bit around that standard. Personally, I, I took uh, a lot of inspiration from that team that developed the work within the federal government and then uh, engaged the CIO Strategy Council to develop that standard. And saw how successful that process was with the issuance of the standard. So we replicated, you know, totally different uh, subject matter, but uh, I I can see a really good uh, formula um, developing to get these standards developed and published. Speaking of which, like the the standard, as you said, it's been approved by the Standard Council of Canada Governance, and it will eventually, I presume, be published up on the CIO Strategy Council. Can you give us a sense when when it will be officially available for folks to actually review and download and uh, be able to to apply. Do you have any sense when it's going to be uh, available? Yeah, so we're currently uh, working on uh, on it becoming published as a result of the recent approval we received from Standards Council. I would anticipate mid-August to, to late August, so very soon. So what I'll do, if, if the link is available by the time I uh, produce this uh, podcast, I, I will put that. Otherwise, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to the CAO Strategy Council site, so then you can search for it there. And I'll, I will also put a link to the, the Pan-Canadian uh, Trust Framework. Uh, we, we have it up on GitHub. A lot of the material that got rolled into the standard is there, and we have quite a... Um, substantive document that goes into, I would say, more of the application of the standard. We talked about mutual recognition and so on and so forth. So I'm happy to put that up. Before before we conclude, Keith, maybe you can give us a sense of what are the big things that you see on the horizon for the CIO Strategy Council and standards development? Again, I'm mostly focused on the public sector, but you, you, you've got a more uh, global view. And I'm just curious if you have any comments or observations of what you see coming down the pike, especially with this, you know, COVID-19 environment and what the, what the new imperatives are, just to, to help the, the listeners get, get, gain an appreciation of what's going on in Canada. The council has converged on, on uh, essentially five 
five areas uh, in relation to all things digital. And, and much of that in terms of its urgency uh, to uh, develop and get standards to market has only been escalated, if you will, by, by uh, the current uh, COVID situation. And as you can uh, imagine, when I start rhyming these uh, areas off and what you know, standards that are actually currently in development and future ones uh, coming down the pipe, uh, they revolve around uh, digital identity, around secure uh, data sharing, cybersecurity, um, both in the context of small medium enterprises and critical infrastructure, and procurement and talent acquisition. So those are our are, are key areas that the councils uh, converged on. And you know when I mention things like a procurement, it's it's in relation to agile procurement of uh, digital products and services. Again, taking what has been successful in our country and oftentimes in pockets or in, in silos and transforming that work and taking that state-of-the-art thinking and codifying it into a national standard to, to help benefit the entire ecosystem and not just a specific pilot or, or a, a specific uh, initiative that you know, took part in parts of, of, of Canada, but not across Canada. So again, it's this ability to have requirements that essentially provide uh, the ability for a repeatable process that organizations can benefit from across this country. I thought we had a lot of work on the digital trust and identity standard, but you've just laid out like a huge work plan. So I presume you have technical committees uh, supporting that and uh, you're not doing all the stuff by yourself, I presume. <laughs> you got a whole team work, working on it. Just wrapping up, I presume there's an opportunity for folks if they want to uh, join or participate in these technical committees, they could contact you. Maybe you can give us just a sense of how might uh, an individual or, or organization participate in these uh, initiatives and standards or in these technical committees. Yes. So, you know, like I said earlier on, it's it's multi-stakeholder participation. We're open by default, so any stakeholder interested in contributing to the work can contact us. There's there's you know, contact information on our website you know regarding the technical committees and and the respective standards that are currently in development again on our website there's a work program that lists all the standards that are currently in development or and or published uh, and the respective technical committee that's responsible uh, for the work so any stakeholder wishing to engage in any of that work or similarly stakeholders that have identified a gap or a need where uh, standards can help fill that gap and uh, provide for the interoperability or provide for the safety or provide for the reliability, those stakeholders can actually come to us and propose uh, new standards work to be uh, to be considered by the council and then uh, in turn uh, having it uh, approved for for the development. So anyone interested by uh, by all means we're, we're a phone call or an email away. Uh, and we're happy to uh, to discuss the opportunities and the way to get engaged. Thank you so much, Keith. And what I'll do, I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes. It's, the website is CIOStrategyCouncil.com, and uh, I'll, I'll put that in the uh, the show notes for, so people can ac access that. So uh, thanks again, uh, Keith, and really appreciate it. Do you have any famous last words before we call it a wrap? No, I, I appreciate the, the, the time and, and the invitation to, uh, to talk about this important standard and, and the work of, of the council. And, 
And I hope that's to all of your listeners. Again, if uh, there is any interest with respect to any of the standards in development, again, we're a phone call or an email away. Thanks so much, Keith. And this is another episode of Definitely Identity. Identity.